Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand, episode 7, Tuatara. Now, in the last episode, I did say that I wouldn't be back until this weekend to talk about the Māori creation myth. However, I was having a Twitter conversation tonight uh, about Tuatara and a variety of other things, and I was bully, I mean, persuaded uh, by the French History Podcast to do a probably going to be roughly half an hour, maybe, uh, episode on Tuatara specifically, uh, because that's what I used to talk about a lot uh, at one of my previous jobs. We had a couple of, uh, actually we had five uh, Tuatara um, that we would talk about um, with people and show them and we actually pull them out and uh, give you a really close-up look. So... This is going to be a, as you probably already noticed, a very off-the-cuff sort of episode. Uh, there's going to be all the ahs and ums and everything else uh, that would normally be cut out from the regular episodes. And that's because, uh, partially because it's this has been developed, or been, I guess, changed from my tours that I used to do at my previous job so that's kind of where that's coming from so it's a more authentic experience uh, but also because it's currently 9.30 at night on a Tuesday uh, I have work in the morning and I should be ironing my shirts and uh, making sandwiches for tomorrow so I don't want to do doing too much editing tonight so we're just going to make this real rough it's just gonna it's just going to be me basically rambling about something that I'm very very passionate about which is kind of already what the podcast is already uh if you've gotten this far and listened to all the other ones um but this is going to be a lot more rough and a lot more um yeah a lot more not as good basically let's put let's put it that way let's be honest um so yeah so french history podcast here you go this is what you asked for um i'm doing it right now um and we're going to talk about tuatara for maybe about 30 minutes that's usually how long it took me to do it on um to talk to people about Tuatara um, at my old job during my tours. So, to start with, this will be a lot, or some of it will be a repeat from episode one. Um, we've talked a little bit about Tuatara and what the uh, sort of flora and fauna was like in New Zealand prior to um, any sort of human settlement. Um, and I'll try and put some pictures up on Facebook and Twitter um, of Tuatara, the actual... Uh, one of them is actually for the picture for episode one on the website is actually one of the tuatara I used to look after um, and that's a really cool picture because um, he's got his spines raised and this sort of stuff and I'll explain that in a minute so that's really really cool um, and I'll try and put up a some sort of pictures page on the website or something so that you know when we're going to look at maps and stuff you know we'll have some sort of pictures on it uh, on the website that I can refer you to but I haven't like figured that out yet so we'll, we'll get there eventually we'll get there eventually so to now start with uh what what is what is tuatara what does it what does it mean well tuatara is uh moldy for peaks on the back or spiny back depending on how you want to interpret it so these guys are only found in new zealand they're a reptile that's only found in new zealand they're kind of a funny looking reptile um, you can definitely tell that they're a reptile, um, but if you compare them to anything else, uh, their closest living relative is crocodiles. So, you know, crocodiles and alligators and that sort of stuff. And they kind of look like that, but kind of not really. There's nowhere that they sort of fit in. And that's, as we've mentioned in the first episode, that's because they're actually not lizards. They're not actually, 
they don't fit into any other nice little niche like in the the sort of tree of life if you will so they're actually classed as their own uh sort of genus i think it is i think it's genus uh, so they're classed as their own genus um basically if you have reptiles at the top and then you have like all the other sections beneath it you've got like lizards and snakes and other crocodiles and other stuff well Tuatara sit on that same level they're the same uh you know they're on that same level so they don't they're not very closely related to you you know your bearded dragon or or your blue tongue lizards or anything like that that you'll find in, in in australia or anywhere else um, they actually are they're very weird and they're their own thing so they're called sphenodons that's their genus name at the front and then there's different uh different species there's three different species within that depending on who you ask um they can be three separate species they can be two separate species uh or they can actually be one species with two three different subspecies it it really depends on which scientist you ask at the time what's kind of the in vogue sort of thing at the time uh but it's yeah it's very dependent on who you ask and why and all this sort of stuff as science tends to be uh, as history tends to be um quite a lot as well so it's generally accepted that there's roughly three species or three subspecies that you can categorize them into um so we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute as well so tuatara are really interesting because they're what they call living fossils and by that i mean that they haven't evolved much since they arose about 250 million years ago uh so they're very very old um and and evolutionarily speaking i guess you want to say that um you know you hear a lot that birds are the that birds are the sort of descendants of of dinosaurs uh that you know you're you're you know you go down to the to the supermarket you grab a chicken and that's that's basically a dinosaur that's no that's kind of true uh birds were evolved from um dinosaurs as we've recently probably heard you know dinosaurs tended to have feathers on them now that's kind of what's coming out that dinosaurs probably had feathers on them uh that were very colorful and whatever else so birds are descended from uh from dinosaurs that that's not that's not wrong that's right but to but to say that they're the closest thing we have is probably not right tuatara are the closest thing that we have because they really apart from crocodiles and a couple of other different species and alligators i should say they're different apart from those there's really nothing else that we have that is the same um you know that, that is a dinosaur basically or lived when the dinosaur was around and you can point to that and go that's what they looked like that time ago you can't point to a chicken and go that's what they looked like all you know millions of years ago you can do that with a tuatara you can say what i'm looking at right now that's what they looked like millions of years ago so they haven't really changed a hell of a lot um so that's why we call them living fossils and that's partly why they're so interesting and why we sort of you know you can say new zealand is the land time forgot is because it really just forgot to attire existed they just hung around and they've just not changed so what, what what do they eat what do they eat so they eat insects small lizards and small birds so that's the sort of things that they tend to eat the problem is out of those three you can only feed them one thing if you're looking after them in a captive setting can't even feed them small birds because that's things like fantails and other stuff and doc doesn't like that doesn't like you 
catching fantails and stuff. Piwaka waka, I think is how you pronounce it, the the Maori term or the Maori word. Uh, small lizards, you also can't do that because small lizards are things like Otago skinks that are extremely rare, uh, and fantails are extremely rare as well. Um, so you you know you can't feed them; they're all endangered. Um, and there's certain insects you can feed them. Um, but those tend to be ones that you you know you'll find all the time. So we feed them things like uh, dragonfly larvae, um, mealworms, and uh, occasionally locusts as well. And the locusts were actually live, so they chase them down, which is really interesting because the the locusts actually are really dumb. I think locusts must be really dumb because I've got a video that I will try and put up somewhere uh, that of a tuatara actually just looking down at a at a locust and he's just like the locust just doesn't care like and the tuatara is like right next to him it's really strange so locusts are really dumb so tuatara will run around and catch them and uh yeah so they but you can't eat you can't feed them things like wetter which is also what they normally eat in the wild because they're also you know kind of rare and native and all that sort of stuff so they're actually quite not difficult but you can't really feed them what they naturally eat out in the wild the other thing actually i mentioned as well is that you can't feed them live mealworms um, because as we're going to talk about in a minute they're actually so slow that their digestive system can't uh digest them fast enough basically if the mealworm is alive and it doesn't get killed on the way you know basically it chewed it doesn't get killed when it's chewed it'll swallow it live and the mealworm actually remain alive inside of the Tuatara's stomach as some sort of like weird Sarlacc type thing from Star Wars. And basically it'll be alive long enough to actually burrow out of the Tuatara's stomach. And that's obviously not great. That's bad for the Tuatara. So we don't do that. You feed them dead mealworms. Um, so yeah, you only really we only really feed them um, live locusts. So this is kind of the part of the uh i guess entire podcast and of this episode in general where we acknowledge sex is a thing people have it so we're going to talk about later in the in the podcast probably but we also acknowledge animals have sex too right i probably should have said that at the start of the episode this is going to be a bit of a perhaps kind of not really sex heavy but we're going to talk about sex a bit because as probably any zookeeper or anything like that will tell you sex is a major part of their job trying to get animals to have sex which is just it sounds really wrong and i I get that it it doesn't sound right you know but that's that's essentially what you're trying to do if you're trying to if you've got a rear animal you're trying to get it to you know get a bit frisky with each other because you want to have more of them right that's how you make babies right so that's what we want to happen so well you know my job entailed trying to make tuatara have sex with each other and that's hard as it turns out because it's not a case of i think i said this in episode one it's not a case of taking a male and a female putting them in a room turning down the lights putting on some berry white and then just leaving them to it you can't do that like you can with other animals where it just kind of happens tuatara doesn't just happen the reason for that is because tuatara the female tuatara need to be able to see two males fighting they'll just refuse to breed if they don't see two males fighting two or more males fighting i should say uh because she wants to know you know who's the strongest right she wants to know who's the best who's going to give the best offspring who's got the best genes easiest way to figure that out see a whole bunch of fellas beat each other up um until one of them basically doesn't run away that's basically the gist of it so that's 
so that means you can't just put a male and a female in a in an enclosure you actually have to have males together fighting it out before that will happen before the female will before you can even bother to put the female in there's just no point in doing it before then so the, the, watching them fight is actually really really cool um you know, I've only seen them fight a few times because they don't fight very often. Again, we'll explain that in a minute. But they don't fight very often, but when they do fight, boy howdy is it awesome. They will use their, you know, their teeth, their claws, they'll, they'll bite each other, swipe at each other, hit each other with their tails. They get bleeding lips, bleeding signs, all sorts of different stuff. Um, and so it's, it's really quite grisly to watch them um and i had a few people actually at my old job they'd freak out and they'd come running out going oh my god tuatara they're killing each other you know they've got blood everywhere and i'll be like oh okay weird so you come out back and you have a look um and they're like oh look you know he's got a bleeding lip and stuff and you're like oh i don't care about that and they're like oh really and you're like oh yeah no as long as he's not disemboweled like it doesn't matter you know you know if you're gonna wrap them up in cotton wool it doesn't it is, then it's, you're not going to learn anything, right? If, if I pulled them apart every single time they fought, neither of them would end up being more dominant than the other, which is what we want. So you can't, you know, if they're not got a life-threatening injury, that's just, you know, you know, bleeding lips, bleeding sides, all that sort of stuff, that's all part of it. Cuts and grazes, that's all part of it. That's how you learn. That's life, right? So, yeah, so you'd have two males fight each other out, um until one of them became more clearly dominant than the other the problem with that is that you can't actually figure out who's the most dominant just by looking at each other looking at them just like as a one-off you have to do it gradually over a period of time because tuatara are you know they move so not they don't move slow i shouldn't say that they they don't do much so it's very difficult to find find out just from looking at them which one's more dominant there are ways to figure it out. We found ways to figure it out just because we knew our Tuatara so well. But, you know, in general, you, you have to watch them over a period of time. Um, and, you know, it can change, and, and you know, from month to month and that sort of thing as well. Um, so, uh, as, as I've sort of kind of hinted at, Tuatara don't do much. They're not very active. They're really active when they're fighting. Um, I've, I've actually seen one um, on a log. He, like, jumped off the log and then pinned the other Tuatara beneath his foot, that was bloody cool, um, but there's no, um, you know, they don't, they don't do a lot, generally, other than that, you know, when they're fighting, that's really exciting, when they're trying to chase up something that's really exciting, that's like, maybe half of the percent of the time that they're doing stuff, the rest of the time they're doing absolutely nothing, they're just not doing anything, and there's a couple of main reasons for that, the first one is they've got a really slow physiology, uh, so there's not a lot going on on the inside. So it means not a lot's going on, on the outside. By that, I mean on the inside, you know, they've probably got one heartbeat per every 10 to 15 minutes um, at, at peak winter, so when it's the coldest. Um, so they've got a heartbeat per every 10 to 15 minutes. And they can have a breath for every half an hour to an hour. So, you know, there's really not a lot going on on the inside in terms of physiology. I don't mean, like, in their brain. Well, I don't actually don't know how smart they are, to be fair. Um... But anyway, the other thing that's really interesting is that, or the other reason that they don't do a lot, is because they have a really long lifespan. So they are estimated to live anywhere between 200, 250 years old, thereabouts. So they can get really, really old. They're actually some of the oldest, like, lived animals on the planet. Um, the oldest, I believe, is a shark that can live to about four, five hundred years. So, they're, you know, they're, they're, they get pretty old in the grand scheme of things. 
um and the oldest living tuatara in captivity um is henry the tuatara down in invercargill um who is about 120 ish you're not quite sure how old he is because i don't believe he was bred in captivity so they're not 100 percent sure how old he is but henry's really interesting because he didn't actually start breeding till he was probably about 110 111 which is obviously pr- pretty old it's it's older than me anyway um and so henry didn't didn't breed until he was you know about middle-aged for him actually you know if you live for 200 years and you're about 100 years old he's only probably about 40 years old or whatever in in human years so he's actually not that old uh you know in terms of being a tuatara anyway but he didn't start breeding until then and that was again for a couple of different reasons the first um they thought it was a brain tumor they initially found i think it was a brain tumor it was some sort of tumor um they thought he they he had a tumor so they you know did some surgery on him cut him open took it out went stitched him back up and went cool he's he's good to go now he's gonna get frisky with some of those other ladies in there and and he did he didn't he just didn't care um and there were you know the the guys at the southland museum which is where he lives um actually he's probably not going to live there anymore it's been deemed earthquake unsafe so maybe not soon uh but he has previously lived at the southland museum um i think under the watchful eye of lloyd esler who is if if you do anything with tuatara in new zealand and uh, you know lloyd esler is is the guy he's the tuatara guy um i have had the privilege of meeting him once or twice in my life when i was a very young lad um and he is an absolutely amazing guy his uh his enthusiasm is infectious he is absolutely amazing so i don't know if he still works for the southland museum uh, it's been a number of years since i've um you know had to think about him essentially um but yeah he's he's a fantastic guy um absolutely the best i cannot recommend him enough as a as a tuatara guy as a general just stand up bloke he's, he's fantastic but anyway so henry's in the the he's in the southland museum and he had a tumor taken out and he doesn't still doesn't want to shag his missus so they eventually discovered that it was because the roof or the ceiling in his enclosure was actually made of a material that blocked uv light and they need uv light to like keep their bones nice and strong vitamin d all that sort of hoo-ha so they need that and that roof was actually stopping that uv light getting through so that was a huge problem um so they took they basically ripped all the roof out put it all back on with different stuff and then went right he should he should be getting busy now and he eventually did but it was all into a tara time you know it took a bit longer but he did eventually breed and now he's got you know kids all over the show and all this sort of stuff so that's great you know they eventually got it but it was a bit a bit of a struggle um in general so henry is a i think cook straight to a tara i want to say cook straight to a tara i'm not 100 percent sure on that but he's one of he, he's a he's a fairly he's not the the big the big important breed if you want to put it that way the big important not breed he's the species the big important species is the brothers island tuatara so the brothers um they were mentioned in episode three plug uh of um that we talked about uh kupe and Tefiki. uh so the brothers are according to that story or that version of the story they were made by cutting out the eyes i think if i remember rightly of uh tefiki and throwing them into the sea and so the brothers are a group of islands i think it's a group of three islands um just outside the marlborough sound so at the top uh, or the north end of uh the south island and 
these islands are the only place you can find Brothers Island to Atara. Hence the name. Uh, because, you know, explorers in the 17th, 18th, 18th got there, uh, century, uh, and 19th century even, are just really boring. And they don't name things anything interesting. That's why we call it North Island and South Island and all sorts of other boring stuff. But yeah, so the Brothers Islands are the only place you can find the Brothers Island Tuatara. And then the most rare Tuatara. Um, because there's only about 400 of them left. Which is just, just that's just bugger all. Like, that's nothing. You know, there are scientific theories out there that basically say 500 is the like bare absolute minimum that you have to have to have a viable population. I mean, those scientific theories are disputed and may or may not be wrong depending on who you ask again but you know 400 not a lot you know that's that's the gist of it 400 is not a lot so of those 400 only 40 of them are female uh, which is again really not a lot and that's a really big problem because the males are well, the females, I should say, are the ones who are doing all the legwork when it comes to breeding. They're all the ones who, you know, are putting all the most time and energy. They're the ones laying the eggs, hatching the eggs, you know, all that sort of stuff. The males, in typical male fashion, you know, they're in it for the root and then they bugger off. So, that, so the females are the ones that you really want more of. Because the females, if you have, for example, you say you have you know five males and a hundred females those five males assuming that they have you know unlimited energy they can go around and and you know and breed with all of those females and all of those females will become pregnant uh, again in theory you know and so will you know you will be able to get all those females pregnant and that's great you have a hundred different clutches by five males that's still not ideal but you're I mean, I, I don't want to offend the females in the audience, but, you know, in this scenario, the fe- the females are the baby factories. You know, you've got a hundred different factories working there. Whereas if you reverse it, you've got five females and a hundred males. You've only got five factories. You know, all of those males can breed with those females all the bloody hell they like, and you're not going to get any more, you know, uh, any more eggs out of them, basically. You're not going to get any more than they can physically produce you're not going to get that in the 100, you know, 100 females example either, but you've got 100 factories versus 5 factories, if that sort of makes sense. I do apologise to the females out there. You're not just baby factories, but it's easy to think about it that way. Anyway, so the the main question there is why do we have a discrepancy or a, um, you know, a, a, a ratio that's not 1 to 1, more or less? Like, you know, most species on the planet have a 1 to 1 ratio. Uh, of males to females and the reason for that is because tuatara are temperature sex dependent which basically means that the average temperature of the soil that the eggs are kept in determines the gender of the animal later on in life so for tuatara specifically if you have higher temperatures you tend to get males and lower temperatures you tend to get females so for Tuatara, it's specifically above and below 20 degrees. So above 20 degrees, you tend to get males. Below 20 degrees, you tend to get females. Okay, this is not 100%. This is not, um, you know, not perfect. You're not always going to get males, you know, above that threshold. But you, you tend to find a higher proportion of males, if that makes sense. So because of the, you know, global warming and all sorts of other things, 
um, that are going on at the moment. Uh, sorry, not global warming, climate change. We should call it climate change, not global warming. Uh, so because of climate change and the globe is warming, uh, you know, we are tending to get higher temperatures and, you know, we're getting above that 20 degree threshold more regularly than not. So that does mean we are tending to get more males than females being born, which is giving us that, you know, 40 to 360 ratio which is bad as we mentioned before so that's not what we want so ideally we want more females so there's no point getting more males who cares about males not me that's who so we don't care about males um for tuatara brothers island tuatara in any case so we want to get more females so any eggs that get um taken or you know uh, get taken out of um enclosures from um successful breeding pairs will be kept under that 20 degree threshold and the reason we take those eggs out for anyone who thinks we're like baby snatching or whatever um is the reason that we do that is because when the eggs hatch um you know all oh, you're always baby tuatara running around that's great baby tuatara running around is fantastic problem is uh tuatara male tuatara are what i like to call incestuous cannibals by that i mean what they'll do is males will walk around their territory looking for small tuatara for baby tuatara and they'll eat any baby tuatara they come across the the theory being or the sort of idea behind that being that if they eat a rival's offspring then that increases their possibility or that increases the probability i should say of their offspring being more successful right because there's less competition between you know other offspring to Atara. and that's great out in the wild that that works right that works out in the wild so that the cannibals right but they're incestuous cannibals because they don't discern whether that's you know his offspring or not he doesn't know that there's no way to tell so he'll just eat whatever he comes across and that works out in the wild because again you know they won't come across their own offspring usually you know so it doesn't it doesn't it's not a huge issue out in the wild but if you're just got males and females in an enclosure there's nowhere for those males to go there's nowhere for those little offspring to go so he'll just eat his own offspring just just you know they, they come out of the barrel like oh this is quite exciting and then gulp you know they're gone that's it so you you want to remove the eggs because otherwise they will actually just get eaten so you know that's that's why they do that so so we try to breed them up so we can get some more females is, is the, the gist of that. Now it takes a really long time to breed them. As we mentioned, that tuatara don't do much. Uh, there is a, there's a difference. You know, tuatara, a lot of people think are, uh, sorry, they're um, slow. They're not slow. They can be fast. I've seen them move real fast. They're just lazy. There's a slight difference in that. The main difference being that if you're lazy, you can move fast. You just don't want to move very fast very often. So that's why, you know, tuatara they don't they don't do much. They're lazy. They're not slow. They're lazy. So it takes a long time for them to do anything. Um, and, you know, breeding being one of those things. So the tuatara that we had that we were trying to breed, we had two males, two Brothers Island males, and those males have been fighting for the last five years, right? So that's a long time to be having a scrap with another guy. And the thing is, is that. That fight could go on for the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years plus before we actually see, you know, one of them become continuously dominant, which is, you know, for more than a year, which was the sort of threshold that we sort of determined that's what we were going to go, right, if one of them's more dominant, if one of them's more dominant for longer than a year, then we know he's probably going to stay dominant. So that was the threshold that we set. Um, and we, I never saw it in the time that I worked there. So 
you know, it takes a long time. So it could take a long time. It could take 100 plus years before they actually decide to fight. But, uh, sorry, decide who's going to be the most dominant. But then, you know, say they do actually finish having their fight and they decide who's the most dominant in a reasonable amount of time, then you still have to wait. You know, you put the female in and you still have to wait for her to decide, you know, who who she wants to breed with and that sort of stuff and that can take some time um, because she doesn't know what's going on or why it's happening so that could take another few years their breeding cycle is anywhere between I think like 7 to 10 years or, or thereabouts about, I think it's roughly 7 years so it can take a long time for you know them to actually sort themselves out and that sort of thing as well and then you know they actually breed and then the eggs get laid and then they hatch and then you go, okay, cool, I've got offspring to a tower. I can release those out into the wild. Well, no, you can't actually, because you want to release them out into the wild so that they can become, you know, that they can breed with other wild Tuatara, right? That, like, that's the point. You want to breed other wild Tuatara with these captive ones when you release them so that you can breed Tuatara out in the wild properly, you know, proper wild Tuatara. So there's no point in releasing them if they're not going to breed with other wild Tuatara. And these Tuatara that you've just hatched won't. Why? Because they are immature they're sexually immature and I, I can hear you saying well thomas when do they become sexually immature surely it's only like a couple years away she'll be right N- no it's two decades it's 20 years before a you know a, a hatched tuatara will become sexually mature it takes a bloody long time so the problem is it can take decades from going from okay i've got tuatara now i'd like to breed them to then go yeah let's put Tuatara out into the wild it takes decades it could take anywhere between 50 to 75 years for it to happen like th- this is kind of assuming as well that you know your bare minimum is 25 to 50 years probably before you'll actually get Tuatara out into the wild and that's just probably assuming nothing's going to go wrong right and something's going to go wrong you know th- this is very complicated stuff I mean it's not very complicated but you know you're dealing with a lot of biological processes and animals that want to do their own thing and you know all sorts of stuff so you are dealing with a whole bunch of different processes that any one of those things could go wrong and if any one of those things could go wrong the whole thing comes crashing down so you need you know it can take a long time um so you know realistically you're potentially looking at 50 to 75 years and before you know before you can go from you know tuatara that you might be able to breed to going to sending them out into the wild and you know you actually having something to to basically show for it that's a long time like 50 to 75 years is a long time like you know i i'm 24 i don't intend to be lasting much longer than probably 75 years from now i mean if i make it 75 years from now i'll be in my 90s so you know that's that's pretty bloody good (laughs) So that's the problem that we have, is that Tuatara last a long time, so they do everything in a long time. Um, so that's... So what's good about that, if there is a good side, is that there are things in place for, you know, uh, you know, if you're working in a zoo or whatever, and you, you know, your entire team dies, you know, because, I don't know why, but say you all die in a freak car accident or something, there are processes in place for things to be handed over for these tuatara to be handed over because i mean although you know if if you know the entire team at wellington zoo or auckland zoo or hamilton zoo or whatever would all just die overnight it's not like they're just going to abandon all the animals but tuatara have this special sort of thing because they're called taonga right or they are taonga right which 
I'm not pronouncing very well, which does sound very similar to Tonga, right? Tonga is a priest or a uh, expert in something. Uh, generally, it's a it, you know the the, the stories think, say it's a it's a priest, um, but they're Tonga, right? I think I said it better that time. Tonga, right? Tonga. If you remember from earlier episodes, I'll give you a second to try and guess what that means. Good. Did you get it? It means treasure. So what it means is that they're considered basically culturally important. Um, because they're so rare and, and, and that sort of thing and also because you can't find them anywhere else and you know all that sort of stuff and they hold cultural significance uh, to Māori from um, you know the past and, and, and that sort of thing as well you know in their history and that sort of stuff which we'll, we'll talk about in the podcast as well um, at some point uh, lizards in general they're not lizards but you know and lizards and reptiles in general uh, do have a cultural significance as well again that we'll, we'll talk about but you know uh there is processes in place for people to look after them. So, you know, iwi, um, you know, the the, the Māori tribes, the iwi, um, they'll look after them, or they, you know, they, they'll they swoop in along with Doc and a whole bunch of other people. They'll swoop in and, you know, grab them or whatever. So, um, you know, there are processes in place um, to avoid um, them just, you know, being left on the wayside, essentially. not Again, not that, you know, we'd leave any animals on the wayside, but Tuatara are specifically significant, along with a number of other animals um, as well. Anyway, uh, to go from talking about all that, um, so the other, what are the other species um, is the Cook Strait Tuatara, as mentioned earlier. There is another species, as we kind of mentioned, called the Northern Tuatara, but, you know, again, whether species, what species is what, is it actually species whatever so the two sort of big ones are the brothers island and the cook strait tuatara and there's about a hundred thousand of them left which is really really good you know there's a lot more of them and you tend to find these cook strait tuatara um or sorry you can only find tuatara on offshore islands so any islands that are some of them are quite far off the new zealand coast some of them are really really close and they just sit you know in fjordland or that sort of thing but they're not connected to the mainland um, but you can't find any tuatara left on mainland New Zealand. By mainland New Zealand, I mean uh, North Island, South Island, and Stewart Island. Those are the three big islands. You don't find any tuatara on any of those islands. Um, in the wild, I should say. Obviously, you find them in zoos and captivity and stuff. So you can't find any tuatara in the wild on the mainland. Sorry, you can, sort of. Um, they do have what they call mainland islands, which are basically just areas where they've put predator-proof fence which costs something like a thousand dollars per 10 meters or something ridiculous um but those mainland islands are basically massive fenced off areas that they put um you know kiwi and takahe and um all sorts of other things in there um to try and you know bring them back and tuatara are sometimes found in those as well depending on where you go sometimes they're found in enclosures so so that statement's not 100 percent accurate but what I'm trying to get across is if you go out into the middle of the bush and expect to go find a tuatara, you know, in North Island or the South Island, you're going to be, you're going to be shit out of luck. You're not going to see anything. You can only find them on those offshore islands. And that's because, you know, Doc has tried to put them there. Doc is the Department of Conservation. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, but they're the, you know, the, I mean, Department of Conservation is a self-explanatory title, isn't it? But they, they are put there so that they can be, you know, bred up and, you know, avoid from predators and that sort of thing. So, you know, again, coming back to, you know, um, all those rats and things that we've talked about in previous episodes as well. And we'll talk a bit about them in a minute as well. So that's only where you can find them. So that's only where you can find um, Cook Strait Tuatara. The, the, the main one, 
uh, that you can find them is Stevens Island. That's the, the sort of the tourist trap, if you want to sort of put it that way. It's not a tourist trap, but that's the one that, you know, most people go, oh, wow, you found Tuatara. Where'd you go see those? 99% of people will go, oh, yeah, we're in Stevens Island. It's all in there. So Stevens Island is, is kind of the, the most famous one, if you will. But you can find them all over the show if you kind of, you know, ask your local eyesight or, you know, dock office or anything like that. They'll, they'll point you in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, so Cook Straight Tuatara is the other... Um, really really big one um, so yeah so uh, I'm just looking at my notes here sorry because I have made a little bit of notes just so I don't derail too much but um, I have derailed a lot actually which is uh, not great um, so yeah so we've talked about how you know uh, I think we've talked about you know under 20 they don't actually have a gender um, that's why they're not sexually mature I, th- I don't know if I mentioned that so when they're under 20 the reason that they're not sexually mature is because they don't have a gender they don't actually, you know, they develop a gender in the, or they, they determine the gender in the egg stage, but it actually doesn't develop until they're about 20 years old. Um, so that is why we have to wait that period. It's not like, you know, we can, you know, sort of, um, it's not like it's there, really. You know, it's in the genes, it's in the chromosomes, it's all that sort of stuff, you know. They quote-unquote know what they're going to be, um, but they, it won't develop until they're about 20 years old. So it's it's actually you know we can't even breed them even if we wanted to and it's really interesting because i used to get a lot of people and they ask me can you tell which you know whether they're going to be a male or a female the answer is kind of not really you sort of can um maybe because you know ones might be bigger and ones might be smaller and can go that might be a male that might be a female it's not really a good way to do it though you know there's a whole bunch of different things going on there and there's not really any good way to be honest at, at all the the main way that you can do it is you can take it um, to Atari, and I think there's there's a bunch of people that can they, they've got special machines and they can do all this weird stuff, and it costs thousands of dollars to do it. But they can do it that way, and they can tell that way if you've got the you know the, the cash money to do it. But the other way to do it is to basically get the Atari, flip it on its back, get a scalpel, cut it open, and see what's inside. And that's great. That's a hundred percent, pretty much non. I think it's you know it's pretty accurate it, you know you're not if you know what you're doing you're not gonna you're not gonna bugger that up the problem with that is if you then want to stitch the tuatara back up and then put it back into the uh into the enclosure to breed later on that procedure tends to be fatal so it's not a very good way of doing it so you know there's not really a good way to figure out what gender they're going to become so you really just gotta just kind of hope that it's the right gender that you want there's not really a way to do it um so yeah so other interesting things about tuatara as we talked about is their taonga their treasures meaning they have a higher cultural significance um oh the other thing yeah the other thing is if they bite you uh so if they bite you um tuatara have uh two sets of or two rows of teeth up the top on the upper jaw and one row of teeth on the lower jaw and both of the or all three of those rows of teeth are serrated so they've got little jaggedy edges on them um that they you know use to help grind things up and chew things and stuff so if they bite you they're actually going to grind that um you know those teeth on your finger you know or whatever they've got to basically try and saw blade it off and grind it down and all that sort of stuff and i haven't experienced it but i'm told it's not great um, and of course you're saying, oh, that's fine. I'll just, uh, you know, I'll just pull it off. That's okay. I'll just, I'll just open its jaws. I'll get my mate to open its jaws and pull my finger out or whatever. Oh, that's, 
That's very nice. If it wasn't for a piece of legislation that said you couldn't do that, it's actually legal to do that. As far as I'm aware, I haven't actually read the uh, read, read the legislation, so you know, citation needed. As I said, this is very off the cuff and a bit more um, a bit more rough. So you know, a lot of this stuff don't take it to be a hundred percent accurate. Um, it might be ninety nine percent accurate or seventy percent accurate. Th- this is this is the more dubious part of of the. Um, of the story, but it's really good for foreigners, right? You know, they they'll, they'll believe anything when you're standing up there talking about, you know, uh, Tiltara and that sort of thing. You know, you've by this point you've already got them, and you know they're enthralled. So if you tell them they're not allowed to put, you know, you're not they're not allowed to pull their finger out, that that scares them, you know. So that's it's always a good thing. I'm reasonably certain it's accurate, but um, you know, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but yeah. So you're not actually allowed to pull your finger out. It's actually illegal. So don't do that if you ever encounter a tortar don't try and put your finger in its face to try and bite you because one it'll be really painful and two you'll be screaming at your friend to please pull your finger out and he'll say no i'm not allowed and the third thing you'll be thinking is oh that's fine this is only going to be going on for five minutes or whatever i'll just i'll just tough it out right you're a you're a big strong person you can tough this out you can you can sit there and wait for a tortara to you know grind your your finger down for five minutes and that's great good for you you're a big strong person good for you there's, there's just one sort of flaw in your plan here uh tuatara won't actually let go until they take their next breath um and those of you who were listening really intently uh will remember that i said they won't actually take another breath for anywhere upwards of half an hour to an hour so you you could be there sometime in a reasonable amount of pain uh waiting for this tuatara to let go of you screaming at your 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 buddy to do something about it and your buddy's going to go no thank you i don't want to fine uh so don't do that if you encounter any tuatara or anything like that it's pretty rare that you'll get a chance to actually touch tuatara um or or get close enough to actually try and put your finger in its mouth uh but don't do that um if you're going to do that um the other thing is uh don't if you ever encounter tuatara don't give a yank on its tail don't do that uh because like a lot of other to uh not tuatara like a lot of other lizards not other lizards, they're not lizards either. Like other other reptiles, they won't. Uh, they will actually uh, lose their tail um, if you pull on it. So if you give it a decent enough tug, so it'll actually fall off, and it will grow back. Uh, but it will take a number of years for it to grow back. Um, so it does take quite a long time. And the reason that they do that is because, as you've probably heard with other reptiles, is you know birds of prey will come down, grab the tail, try and drag or fly away with the reptile and they lose the tail to you know the, the bird flies away with the tail and the, you know the reptile uh, lives to fight another day so the big sort of or one of the predators of tuatara they don't have many predators but their sort of kind of main one is birds of prey right and so that's why they have that defense mechanism it's also why they don't actually move a lot because if a bird is flying overhead, right, you know, you're a nice uh, falcon, you know, New Zealand falcon, don't fly them anywhere else in the world. you got a nice New Zealand falcon, he's flying over the bush and he's looking down because that's what they have. They have birds have very good eyesight because that's how they find things to eat. So he's looking down with his great big eyes and he's looking for something to eat. If you move, he's more likely to see you, right, rather than if you stand still because Tuatara are very good at camouflage. They you know they're nice and green um they you know they blend into the bush into the leaf litter so they do they're very difficult to spot 
if they're not moving. If they move around, much easier to spot. So they don't move around because then they'll be less likely to be eaten. Uh, that doesn't quite work if you are uh, being chased by a stoat, for example. A stoat has an olfactory sense, right? So it uses its nose, it's using its schnoz, it's trying to smell you out. And it doesn't work if, you know, that if you're standing still, the stoat's just going to look at you once it finds you by smelling it. It's going to look at you and go, man, that, that was easy, I'm just going to run it down and eat it. And so that's a big problem. And the other the other defense mechanism mechanism they sort of have is they'll be able to run into the burrow and, you know, hide from a bird, basically. But you can't do that with a stoat. A stoat, you know, similar to a weasel and a ferret, it's just going to run into that burrow with you. It doesn't care. It's just going to run in there and, and, you know, fight you and eat you or, or your eggs. You know, whatever. It doesn't care. Stoats are mean bastards. So it's a really big problem that their defense mechanism that they've developed for their own predators isn't very good for, you know, stoats and rats and other things. You know, rats, you know, being nest robbers, so they're not fighting Tiltaras directly. But, yeah, uh, they're, they're, you know, everything that Tiltara basically developed is really bad for, you know, all these introduced predators that were brought in, like stoats, possums, and rats are the three sort of really big ones that you'll probably hear. So they're exotic mammals. So they're brought from the outside. Um, and that's a really big problem in and of itself that I could go on and on and on about. But, you know, we're already running at 45-ish minutes now. Um, and we don't want to be running probably for more than an hour. Um, I did say this was going to be half an hour. So um, let's not get too off the rails. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much everything that I want to talk about. Oh, the last couple of things I want to talk about is Tuatara are the only species of reptile that have a third eye. So they don't actually have an eye per se. Their eye is a photoreceptor in the center of their forehead. So it manifests itself as sort of a silvery dot um, when they're very, very young and then you can't see it as they get older. Um, so they actually just use that as a photoreceptor, right? It's basically just a, a is there light? Yes, no. That's all it does, basically. And it's used specifically for UV light, so they can tell whether, you know, there is enough UV light in an area, whether they need to move to another area, that kind of stuff. Um, as I said, because their bones, you know, and their teeth and that sort of thing, they need it to keep, you know, nice and strong and healthy and that sort of stuff. So that's that's basically what Henry, as we talked about earlier, that's what he would have been using to figure out, is this you know, do I want to breed? Well, no, because I don't have enough UV light because my third eye is telling me I don't have enough UV light. And then when they changed the ceiling, he would have gone, oh yeah, I've got enough UV light. The the, the silvery dot is saying, giving me a thumbs up. So that's all good. Let's let's have a root. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's what it's used for basically is, is, is a photoreceptor. Um, and the other sort of couple of things is they like to live anywhere between 5 and 25 degrees, anything above 25 and they start dying, uh, degrees being degrees Celsius, um, not freedom units, Fahrenheit, we don't use Fahrenheit, that's a weird system and I don't understand it, Celsius makes sense, um, so Celsius is what we use, uh, so 5 to 25 degrees Celsius um, is what they generally prefer, so they like it quite cold in comparison to say your Australian um, animals, you know, just across the ditch as they say, um, you know, they like it anywhere between you know, 30, 40 plus-ish degrees. They like it really hot because Australia is really hot. Um, whereas New Zealand's not that hot. So they like it much, much colder generally. Um, anything above sort of 25 to 30 and they start dying, um, which is not good, um, obviously. So, you know, 
they do like it quite cold in comparison to many other um, animals uh, or many other reptiles I should say um, and the last thing I'll say is I did mention actually about uh, at the start we were going to talk about you know how they sort of um, why the, the raised spines means what it does well I, I've, I'm putting it at the end now because I forgot as this is rough I already said that so <laughs> the reason that they raise their spines you know is for the fighting right makes them look bigger and scarier and that sort of thing when they actually fight they'll actually raise themselves off the ground as well um, the reason they keep themselves off on the ground is because to Atara don't actually have any ears um, which is another interesting thing that I've just remembered so we'll talk about that so they don't have any ears um, so they actually keep their bellies on the ground to try and um, you know figure out you know try and feel vibrations basically um, of if, if, to figure out if anything's coming along and trying to eat them and that sort of stuff which again is like you know fairly rare um, I'm guessing it's more used if a mower was going to step on you or something um, again because you know they're being predated on by falcons and stuff that are in the air um, so Tiltara don't have ears and that's a problem because the main way to figure out whether a Tuatara is how old it is basically um, is to get the air bones like you do with other reptiles and fish you take an air bone out called the otolith um, and that's very very common in reptiles and fish is to take out this otolith which is a tiny tiny um, air bone you sand it down put it under a microscope and you count the growth rings on it like you would on a tree so one ring basically equals one year um, and that's a really that's a shit of a job I can tell you that because I did that at uni and it's a shit of a job you, know, you spend hours looking under a microscope and it's crap and I hated it um, but I was I guess I was you know I drew the short straw that day so you know um, but yeah you know the odolith you, you look at that and you go yeah that's how old it is the problem is is that partially is because that requires the animal to be dead um, so that's not ideal but also they don't have ears Tortara don't have ears so they don't have ear bones to do it so that's a massive problem um, and the other way to do it is to basically um, take a tooth, cut it in half, and then do the same thing. You, you count the growth rings on it. The problem with that is it usually the reason that method works is because other reptiles and fish, their, their teeth are separate to the skull structure, right? So your teeth, you sitting at home, driving in a car, walking to work, in an operating theatre, you know who you are. You know, your teeth are... In, in in the gums right they're in the gums they're not actually um attached to the skull structure so that means that your teeth grow independently of the rest of your body so your teeth will actually grow at the same rate every year or, or for, for i don't know if it's that like that for people but it's like that for reptiles and fish they'll grow at the same rate every single year so that's why this method works right that's why the otolith method works is because that otolith only produces one ring a year so that that's 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 good that's what you want right it's a consistent solid rate every single year the problem and that again you know that works for fish and reptiles the problem with tuatara is that their teeth are attached to the skull structure they're actually just protrusions of the um jawbone essentially through the gums right so their their teeth are attached to the skull or, or the, the the mandible if it's the bottom jaw so the the problem with that is the skull isn't doesn't hold to that rule it doesn't grow the same amount every single year it grows depending on you know how much food you, you've eaten and stuff some years it'll grow more some years it'll grow less some years it might not grow at all some years it might shrink as you get older you know that kind of stuff so that's the, a problem because if you're not getting that consistent 
you know consistent growth every single year you're not going to produce the same amount of rings every single year you're not going to grow one ring a year which is what you want so you might have a couple of rings one year one ring another year no rings one year you know and that's not good that's not what you want that doesn't tell you anything so that's why that doesn't work that's not a method we can use to um you know figure out how old tuatara get and that's why we don't quite know how old they are um that's why i said it's estimated that they get to about 200 250 years old because actually no one knows how old they get the the basic the prevailing science at the moment to figure out how old they get is waiting for henry to die that's kind of it you know we 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 have guesses and we have you know there's been things done and whatever else and generally you'll hear people say you know they live for like a hundred years plus and that kind of thing but no one quite knows as far as i'm aware no one quite knows how old they get 200 250 years old is kind of it's i think it's the outside limit it is kind of the outside limit and it probably isn't that much but that's that's sort of you know we don't really know there's no you know there's not really any way to tell really um because there's no way to age them properly so that's kind of where the science is at on that we're we're all just sitting around waiting for henry to die and as we said the problem with that is he might last quite a while he's already lasted a while he might last a while longer so you know it's 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 a long process it's a big long process with tuatara so with that i think we're running up to close to an hour now that i've been ranting about uh tuatara so thank you for listening if you have made it this far uh i do apologize for the fact that it is very rough that it is a lot of me umming and ahhing and uh, making weird mouth sounds i hope you can make it through all of that if you have made it through all of that um but thank you for uh getting through all of this um and listening to me rant about tuatara a little bit um you know i don't get to do this anymore um since i i don't work with directly with uh, native animals anymore so i really like when i get the chance to you know rant about animals and, and talk about them even if it is just into my microphone in my room on my own looking like a lunatic um but hopefully you enjoyed it and that's the main thing uh the the audience out there hopefully you enjoyed it and hopefully you enjoyed a little bit of an insight into i guess how insane i am i I guess when i just talk about animals and 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 things i'm passionate about when i don't have a script um this is this is unfiltered unadulterated me so uh hopefully you did uh enjoy that a little bit as well a view into who i am and what i am about and that sort of thing so uh yeah again thank you if you've made it this far um and uh thank you i guess i should i be thanking i guess thank you to the french history podcast um for but let's call it what it is bullying me into doing this um it had it, it was it was really fun i do really enjoy as i said talking about this sort of stuff so thank you french history podcast uh go check out his stuff um if you're interested in french history i have admittedly not listened to his um uh, his content yet um i'm still working on getting through a whole bunch of others um at the moment 
um, because you know once you start getting becoming a history podcaster, a whole bunch of people go, "Hey, look, I'm also a history podcaster, and it's great. I love it. I've got all this. I've got this massive list of history podcasts that I want to listen to, but I have not made it round to the uh, French history podcast yet. So I am sorry if you are listening to this. Um, so I cannot endorse whether it's any good, but I'm sure it is. Um, you know, lots of history podcasters um, are absolutely fantastic. There's a lot out there, um, and I'm sure French history podcast does a bloody good job if his tweets anything to go by. I really enjoy uh, looking at his tweets and the tweets of everyone else with all the interesting stuff uh, that they do. Um, out on you know, showing like you know, maps and books and oh, it's it, it's great. So if you're anyway interested um, in that sort of stuff, um, you know, there's a whole bunch out there. Um, just look on Twitter or, you know, drop me a line um, and, and I can recommend some to you as well. Um, so with that, um, if you want to get in touch with me, um, I am on Twitter uh, at History Aotearoa or on Facebook at History of Aotearoa New Zealand Podcast. There we go. Get it right. Um, or you can find me on Gmail at historyaotearoa at gmail.com. Um, Aotearoa is spelled A-O-T-E-A. R-O-A. As always, Hari tu watu, hockey tu mai. See you next time.